Join me on March 14th as I'm joined by Condé Nast Traveller's senior editor, Megan Spirell, to share a behind-the-scenes peek into the making of our Women Who Travel Power List. But there's so much more waiting for you in the full article. From film directors to war journalists to wildlife ecologists, these women are reshaping the travel landscape and leaving a lasting impact on the world. Tune in to hear why Megan and myself are so excited about the 15 women we've chosen to highlight. Subscribe to cntraveler.com today to access the complete list and be inspired by their incredible journeys. And for a limited time, our listeners can unlock everything Traveller has to offer for just $5. Simply use code POD5, that's P-O-D-5, at checkout to access exclusive travel insights, breathtaking destinations, and invaluable tips to fuel your adventure spirit. All for just $5. And remember, every adventure starts with just one step. Join us in celebrating the power of women in travel. Visit cntraveler.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. A lot of people spend a lot of money on things like skincare, fast fashion, and even surgery, all in the name of self-improvement. But as the price of perfection rises, when is it time to call it quits? I'm Rima Hreis, host of This Is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace. This season, we dig deep into the financial trappings of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, this is Women Who Travel, a podcast from Kanye Nast Traveler. I'm Meredith Carey, and with me is my co-host, Lolly Erikoglu. Hello. Lolly's just back from a road trip along the PCH, which you can hear all about on last week's episode of Travelog, the other podcast that we have going on here at Traveler. This week, Lolly and I are so pumped because we're joined by someone who's seen a side of our world that most of us honestly don't dare to dip a toe into. Jamie Monahan is an ultra marathon and cold water swimmer from right here in New York City. And later this month, she'll attempt to become the fastest person to swim six marathon swims on six continents within 16 days. That's like a real tongue twister. (laughs) By the time you hear this, she'll actually have already started on this journey here in New York on August 11th. Thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. So can you just kind of explain how you even got started in this cold water, open water swimming? Because I feel like that's something that most people are not doing on their day to day adventures? Probably not. Um, (laughs) The way I get started, I've actually been a swimmer all my life. Um, Was a pool swimmer throughout grade school and university and then kind of stepped away from it because I was working on Wall Street for many years after college. After a bit, I started to get back into running and triathlons and then some open water swimming, which was really unique. And just really on a whim, we were planning a trip, um, my boyfriend and I, um, to see the Northern Lights in Finland. Um, and we were going up to a place called Kaxlauten, where they have these amazing glass igloos up there, great viewing potential. 
potential for the Northern Lights. And we were also going to see friends in Helsinki. And then kind of just out of the blue, an email popped up on my English Channel Swimmers chat group about the World Winter Swimming Championships in Rovaniemi, Finland, which is the home of Santa Claus. It's <laughs> really kind of creepy. Um, lots of reindeers roaming the streets, things like that. But I kind of heard about it and it sounded like a lark. So totally out of the blue, we decided to add a stop on the trip to um, participate in that. I started training locally at Coney Island and just kind of got there not knowing what to expect, but just fell in love with it. It's kind of crazy. They actually carve a pool out of the ice out there um, and set up a, <laughs> yeah, a huge swimming pool. So um, definitely really crazy. There's people of all nationalities there. And just, you know, they also have these hot tubs set up and like celebratory events as well. So it's just an amazing kind of parallel universe that I never knew existed. Um, and after that, I actually started to get invited to a lot of winter swimming events all around the world. It's interesting. Um, it's a popular sport in some countries, especially the Baltic states. It's a new sport in Argentina and, you know, definitely really unheard of here in New York and um, in the United States. But um, a lot of these countries' governments actually sponsor these festivals and invite foreign swimmers to come in and uh, kind of join the experience. So started traveling kind of all over the world and, you know, meeting lots of people from everywhere and just really enjoying it. So... I am going to out my dad really fast because he's <laughs> one of those people that like if the pool is less than like 80 degrees, which is hot, he like refuses to get in. So like how cold are we talking when we talk cold water, open water swimming? Yep. So any, I mean, cold water swimming, I would say is anything under five degrees Celsius, which is 41 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, but it really goes down to slightly even below zero Celsius. For example, anytime the pool is cut out of a frozen lake, um, it's going to be zero degrees basically. Or if it's salt water, it can actually be below zero in some instances. So pretty crazy. They actually have to have little bubblers or guys with rakes going around periodically. So um, that it doesn't refreeze? Exactly. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. I would much rather be the person with the little rake. Rather than <laughs> <laughs> and do you guys have like wetsuits? I When we were poking around on your website, like there are pictures of you in Antarctica in like a regular one-piece swimsuit. Yep, yeah, I do everything in just a regular Speedo costume, um, one cap, one pair of goggles. I do wear silicone earplugs. I do think that's really important to kind of protect water. Yeah. yeah, to keep the water from getting in there because you can have hearing loss, so. Oh my gosh, because the water's so cold, that's crazy. And so the first time that you jumped in to do that race, what did that water feel like? Oh, I mean, it felt just like what it was. It felt like liquid <laughs> ice. And the amazing thing is you, they kind of start you off in these changing rooms and everybody was so serious. And, you know, people are wearing like Russian Olympic team jackets and really kind of jumping up and down or getting massages from their trainers. It's really intense. And everybody just kind of went into the pool, like very stoic, very professional. They really knew what they were doing. I just had no clue. I kind of went down the ladder held my breath and kind of hoped for the best. So it was um, really crazy. It was only short distances at first, but definitely a unique experience. But the high that you get afterwards is really amazing. I mean, like how long are you swimming now? Because the marathon swims for this like uh, Guinness World Record that you're going for have to be at least 6.2 miles, right? Yep. So yeah. like from since you started doing shorter swims, like what are you swimming now? 
Yeah, so for this challenge, it's actually um, anything over a 10K, which okay. is 6.2 miles, is defined as a marathon swim. I've done swims actually up to 33 hours long. So, you know, they can definitely vary. People say ultra marathon, people say marathon, but generally the marathon swim is anything over a 10K. And the reason for that is just because it takes approximately the same amount of time for a good swimmer to swim that distance as it does for some of the elite runners to um finish a running marathon. Gotcha. So I was talking about Antarctica earlier, and this is actually part of the reason when we were kind of thinking about who we wanted to be on on upcoming podcasts, Lale sent me this story, and it has a picture of you in it in Antarctica with a huge iceberg behind you. And it's so crazy. So how did you end up cold water swimming in Antarctica of all places? Yeah, so this is probably even crazier. I've actually been there twice. Um, (laughs) The first was actually for a dream of my boyfriend's and he wants to eventually run a marathon on all seven continents. So we were down there as a gift for him. I got us into this Antarctica marathon. It's really the only opportunity to run a marathon on that continent. And they were doing a polar plunge. And I kind of heard about it on the schedule. And I went up to the expedition leader and said, hey, this is kind of my sport. I showed them some crazy pictures of me swimming in ice. Do you mind if I do a slightly longer swim? And they let me kind of swim around icebergs. And it's in a place called Paradise Cove. And it's just absolutely gorgeous and pristine and just amazing. So a couple of years later, I was doing the Ice Sevens Challenge, which is doing an ice mile on every continent. Um, and I decided to finish off that quest by booking another trip to go back there and swim a full mile there. Um, and the company we went with was super supportive. It was a research ship with um, lots of different scientists coming back from the Antarctic summer. And it was this Russian ship, so it had this amazing sauna that I could get in afterwards to rewarm. And it was just, again, another amazing experience. And um, penguins came and swam with me, which is just incredible. Wait, (laughs) tell tell us more. (laughs) Like Lolly and my jaws are just like completely open right now. Yeah, so there's obviously a lot of wildlife in Antarctica. People always ask me about sharks on my swims, but this time I was a little bit nervous because they have these amazing leopard seals here, and they do typically show a lot of attention to people. They definitely have interacted with like videographers that were doing scuba down there, but those folks are a little bit more protected in the wetsuit, or they can kind of fend them off with the camera, things like that. So they can kind of almost unhinge their jaws, and they have really big teeth, and they're very curious about people. Um, which, you know, it's fine if they're curious, but I don't want them to explore any of my body parts <laughs> with their, those big teeth. Um, so with def- your one cap, your yeah. one pair of goggles, and your one speedo. And your earplugs. Yeah, <laughs> I, throw the earplugs at them. Yeah, so that was definitely a concern. Um, but one thing I didn't really think about was, you know, there's penguins all around, and they actually did get curious and came to me at the start and the end of my swim, and we actually got some really cool video of them kind of just diving up and down and swimming next to me in a pack so it's really cute were you just when you were swimming with them were you just like how did I get here (laughs) (laughs) I think that a lot actually about my life it's you know I definitely appreciate it but some things you know like they say what did you think you'd be doing when you were a kid um I thought it would would, hoped it would be something exciting but this is kind of beyond my wildest dreams so (laughs) well and so I think one thing that we're really both very intrigued by it, is the fact that the whole time you're doing this, you also have a day job. <laughs> How? And a discussion that comes up in our Facebook group that we have a lot is, you know, how can you work and then also make travel like a way of your life? And I'm wondering how you manage to juggle those two things. And also whether you, before you started doing these competitive races, 
whether um, you traveled a lot before or whether... Um, this is like anything like kind of out of the ordinary from that time. Yeah, I actually never traveled at all until I was kind of graduated from college, working. Um, I was working on Wall Street, so had really limited time off. But every time we would get like a three-day weekend, we'd kind of be on the plane, sleep on the plane, explore all the next day, and just make the most of that very limited paid time off. I'm really fortunate now to be in a company um, where we do get a lot of holiday time, which is great. And I really have. I've been doing my job. I've been with my firm for 10 years, so kind of felt some credibility. Um, I have have great colleagues that can cover for me when, when I need to, but it's definitely sometimes a case of burning the candles at both ends. Um, you know, basically there's there's times when I'm taking a conference call, I'm in China and, you know, it's the middle of the night there and, you know, you do what you got to do. Um, my season, I work in campus recruitment, so my season is really, really busy throughout the fall and then more flexible at certain times, which is what I try to plan these trips for. So this kind of trip all around the world in 16 days is really just blocked off into two weeks between when my interns leave tomorrow and um, when I'm back after Labor Day for fall recruiting. So um, it's definitely, you know, a work-life balance challenge, but I kind of enjoy that part of it. Do you travel any more places that you don't swim or are you going and swimming most of the places that you are visiting? Uh, you know what? It's funny. I probably haven't had a trip too recently that I haven't swum during, but it's maybe just because wherever I go, it may, might not be necessarily for swimming, but I'll probably find water that I want to swim in at some place. So gotcha. um, it's funny. I think I was always drawn to like city vacations, but also kind of like beach and sea and lakes. So, And so, where exactly are you going on this? So you're starting in New York and then from there, where are you traveling in basically the next two weeks? Yeah, so um, right after um, the swim on Saturday, I'm getting on a plane close to midnight to uh, Cartagena in uh, Colombia, and it looks gorgeous there. There's this beautiful island that I'm looking to swim around just off the city, and it looks fantastic. After that, I'm going to jump on a plane and spend basically two days on a plane to Sydney, Australia. Gorgeous waters out there. It's actually their winter, but the water is still relatively warm, which is good. It should be just um, in the, the 60s Fahrenheit about. I have a lot of friends out there um, hoping to meet up as well, and they, they'll probably be supporting on the swim as well. And I think that'll be nice. That'll be a good opportunity to catch up with some folks. Um, after that, I'll be heading to Singapore swimming again in the strait there which should be fun and challenging they have a lot of tankers going through and a lot of um, boat traffic obstacles so that will be one that i'll really be relying on my pilot to just help me successfully navigate that and again it's going to be blazing hot there um, the water there is going to be like your dad would probably like it. Um, <laughs> and when you talk about your pilot, that's somebody who's basically following along in a boat and kind of directing you where you need to go so that you're not totally on your own, right? Yep, okay. correct. Yeah, it's a motorboat. I typically have a kayaker as well, which is usually my boyfriend who accompanies me, always either on the motorboat or in a kayak. And the motorboat captain is usually someone local that we contract with. We kind of explain the endeavor. They give us advice on the water. They kind of know what the boat traffic is like or currents, things like that. So everywhere I go, that's a really key part of the endeavor. And, you know, it's really hard to see a swimmer. It's a little easier to see a kayaker, but a motorboat it makes it a lot safer. Gotcha. And then from Singapore, where are you off to? Yeah, so after Singapore um, to Cairo and then jumping another plane to Sharm el-Sheikh, um, which is an amazing 
kind of diving capital of the world. Um, have a couple of potential courses there, depending on the conditions. The one I'm kind of most excited about is around this crazy Russian shipwreck just off the coast. Um, and it's really huge and it's a popular snorkel destination. And I think just being able to kind of swim around it and kind of look over at it as I go. And I think there'll be a lot of wildlife as well because they do have a lot of um, little fishy friends <laughs> there as well. And then one more. After the Egypt swim, I'll be um, heading to Geneva, Switzerland. That's a really kind of exciting location for me because I've done two 42-mile swims of Lac Lamont or Lake Geneva there, and it's a swim that's really close to my heart. They have a width crossing as well, which is about 14 kilometers, and it's the old um, professional circuit of marathon swimming World Cup race. So we did it for the first time last year, and um, if all goes well and the journey there kind of in that place, that's very special to me. So kind of starting in New York, my hometown, and then ending up in Geneva, which has been a great swim destination for me um, looking forward to that and so obviously you you know were selective about the places that you were choosing to swim on each of these continents kind of what are the factors that are playing into where you go because it, it, it obviously it's very different from like how I will plan a trip <laughs> to a beach where I may swim for five minutes <laughs> Um, it was a lot of factors with that. I obviously have a wish list. I could probably recreate this challenge with different locations four or five times over. Um, and that was what was appealing to me about the Ice Sevens challenge as well as, you know, all of the continents are, are your canvas. So for me, it was kind of a function of about also like how long am I spending on the plane? Where is a good place to swim? Where is there something interesting that I'd either like to do again or something new to see? So those were my main factors factors. And then, you know, you were mentioning the penguins and then the boat traffic and all those sorts of things. You know, dodging tankers in Singapore and swimming with penguins in Antarctica, like those are things that most people don't get to see so up close, especially in these instances where you're going to the Russian shipwreck and stuff like that. Like, how does it show you this other part of the world that the rest of us don't see? And, and what is so special to you about the things that you've seen that you could probably count on two hands other people who have seen the same things. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's really funny because some of them are completely new and different experiences, like Antarctica, being very fortunate to even get down there, much less swim. Um, but sometimes it's even just ordinary things in a different way. So one of my favorite swims of all time is the swim around Manhattan Island. So our amazing little island, it's 28.5 miles. And last summer, I was actually given the opportunity to do a double circumnavigation of it. And for me, the draw of that was not just to swim around Manhattan, which I had done, but to swim around it at night. Not only to see the city skyline from the water, but to see it kind of lit up and, you know, like it, the, the island just shimmers. It was magical. So kind of both a function of seeing really unique places, but also seeing ordinary things in a different way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm so fortunate. One of the things I do actively pursue is to see some of the world's amazing glaciers and ice because, you know, it's not going to necessarily be here that much longer. So, And I think that's something that we both wanted to grill you on a bit more is that, I mean, I sound like a stuck record about this and we bring it up on this podcast and in the office all the time, which is that sometimes the only way to really make you care about protecting something is to actually see it. After those trips to Antarctica, did you come back feeling like a sense of urgency in terms of doing your part to try and prevent or at least slow down climate change? 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one of the things is kind of just bringing that to other people so they can see, you know, I think a lot of people are never going to know what a glacier looks like, much let alone like kind of what a tiny human looks like and scale to that. So kind of one of the big things that I love to do is just display these photographs so other people, if they don't have the opportunity to travel there, get to see what they're missing and support that just because there are so many things going on. We've got red tide in Florida. We've got global warming. There are so many things. It really is very urgent. So just bringing any attention to that is really important to me. You know, and there's a lot we can do um, in terms of awareness, but also simple things like doing carbon offsets as travelers. But just being on a plane creates a lot of gas emissions. So doing whatever you can to offset that, it's kind of like the pros and the cons of things and something that I think about a lot as well. What are the best ways to offset that? You can purchase um, carbon offset credits, basically, and what they do is to plant trees to kind of offset some of the gases that you're generating. And I'm not a scientist. I might not be explaining it well, <laughs> but um, there's, you know, and I think if you just do a quick Google search, a lot of um, airlines offer it, travel companies. So I think it's pretty easy to find, you know, the science. I may be misremembering it, but they plant the trees to, to kind of get us back some of that coverage and... Um, carbon <laughs> <laughs> just to like fix it yeah, you know something it's a magic band-aid I'm sure <laughs> and when you're swimming in those waters you know were there times when you did see visible impact of climate change were there times that you sort of something really struck you that, fr- that you found alarming or is it still relatively invisible as someone who's swimming in those seats or those even waters? just or even just like human pollution yeah. because I feel like and this is me Um, as like a very small, low-level dermaphobe, but like I wouldn't voluntarily get in the rivers around (laughs) Manhattan, right? To you, like when you look at that, is there anything that you have, you know, can remember about sometimes when it wasn't exactly the most pleasant experience? Yeah, and a few things. We're actually doing pretty well in New York City. Um, In the past 20 years, the water is so much cleaner. They have oyster beds that are cleaning the water. Jellyfish and animals are back in the water where when it was really dirty, even up into the early 2000s, it just wasn't there. That's due to efforts by Riverkeeper and a lot of organizations locally that are really focused on cleaning up the water and reducing the waste. That being said, you know, in New York, we're really fortunate. We have a lot of people that are focused on it at a high level. Other places, um, I was recently in Greenland and some of the most stunning ice in the world. And we actually ended up getting stuck there for five days and we're put into a different hotel. Um, and I was so thrilled because we had a little balcony right on the water. And I was like, oh, I can just go for a little swim. That's going to be amazing. And then I looked and literally the hotel we were staying at was putting waste right into the water like you could see it directly we were kind of like what is this and then we realized that the waste from the hotel was going right in there so even countries that you may think are pretty evolved it's just it's really heartbreaking to see that happening and just things like climbing Kilimanjaro reading Hemingway where he describes the huge glacier and it's not that huge anymore it's going to be gone in 10 years it's just it's really heartbreaking sometimes Are there any places that you feel like are doing, you know, you mentioned Manhattan having kind of cleaned up its act, but are there any places that you visited where you feel like they're handling the situation better than most? Yeah, I would definitely say New York City, the waterways here have probably made some of the most drastic changes of any large city. And I think that's definitely a big best practice. I think 
in Europe, there's a lot of regulations around waterways and public access and things like that. And they maybe started at a little bit of a higher level, but I'm really proud of New York City, the way it's been able to turn things around. And so I'm not even really turning this onto a lighter note, but I think <laughs> it, it, it is. You know, I'm thinking about all these swims you do in all these different environments and they kind of present you with different sets of challenges every time. Has there been a swim that you really remember sort of being halfway through and just thinking, how am I going to get to the end? <laughs> I probably think that on every swim. Um, and I I'm think relieved that you she's say that. Human. <laughs> <laughs> and I think anyone who tells you otherwise might be fibbing. Um, but I... One of my um, personal heroes is this amazing Finnish free diver, um, Joanna Nordblad, and she and her sister kind of go around the world, and she actually has a record for diving the furthest under ice. No wetsuit, no fins, no nothing, and that's her thing. But she's also a competitive breath holder, and I read a quote by her um, where she said, she was talking about these static apnea breath holds that they do, where they're under the water motionless, just you and your brain and your burning lungs for six minutes. And she always said, you know, 30 seconds in, you know, I think about how can I get to six minutes? But if you don't think about that and you kind of just focus on the moment and not think about what's ahead, that's what makes it easier. If you think, oh, I feel this bad after 30 seconds, how am I going to feel after six minutes? Yeah, it's not going to work. You're going to get completely mentally shaken up. But if you think about it and just what I do is always just swim to the next feed. So I break down my feeding schedule every 30 minutes where I drink carbohydrate drink. And it's always possible to go on for 30 minutes and things always change. I was in Lake Como in Italy and kind of got caught up in a windstorm and there were all these um, windsurfers kind of coming through, almost hitting us. The water got very cold because it's a glacial lake and actually the wind turned up the cold water from the bottom so the temperature had dropped like 20 degrees in five minutes. It was really challenging. It was right at the beginning of the swim and I thought, how am I going to keep going for 30 more miles? But I was like, okay, I'm going to swim for 30 more minutes, see how it goes, see if the um, windsurfers go away. And it got better. So, And sometimes the, the best parts of my swims are at the end of the swim when you would think it would be hardest. So I think it's like, you know, we were talking about yoga. You kind of just have to show up to the mat and breathe through it and see what happens. Because I'm trying to become a... I'm a very beginner yogi, everyone. I'm on class number four, so <laughs> we're doing great. I'm not quite at that meditative state yet. Um, I quit yoga because the instructor <laughs> made an example of me. <laughs> um, but this kind of question goes off of that. But, I mean, do you feel like it's that feeling that you get when you finally finish that pushes you to keep traveling, to keep swimming, to keep going farther and farther afield to find these incredible swims like what do you think is that part of you that's like I want to do it again I want to do it again yeah I mean I think it's just pursuing new experiences um I don't do anything as part of just a checklist I always select things that are meaningfully to me personally and unfortunately I think the more I see and the more I learn the the list gets longer mm -hmm. I try not to do things for just the sake of doing a longer swim or going colder and things like that. It's more about just kind of selecting experiences that I think would be, you know, amazing and show me something different in the world. So, yeah, I think it's easier to get caught up in that kind of faster, stronger, longer kind of mindset. Um, so, again, like the kind of yoga thinking, moving meditation, that kind of thing. And when you're not swimming, what would you say are your travel priorities? Um, 
it's really funny. I know I, I was hearing a lot about some amazing meals on your previous podcasts, and I'm not a foodie. Um, <laughs> I love to just walk in um, different cities, soak things up. Again, like I'm not, I traveled once with a friend, and she was very focused on seeing three monuments in every day and shopping lists and restaurants to eat at. And I like to kind of pick one thing to do each day and then kind of just take it and kind of let life happen. So probably very counter active to the swimming which is very focused kind of the rest of the trips are generally focused on relaxation and just you know appreciating other aspects of the place and you mentioned reading Hemingway's description of Kilimanjaro and are there certain books that you always go back to um, when you're traveling and doing these swims or are there authors that you love to read who write about travel Yeah. I mean, I think actually in my 20s when I was first starting to travel, I was definitely trying to, I maybe had like the checklist of like Hemingway checklist. You know, we ran with the bulls in Pamplona. We went on safari. We hiked Kilimanjaro. You know, we ate at a rest, you know, in Madrid and a lot of places there, you know, they are like Hemingway ate here, Hemingway drank here. And he probably did. He, you know, (laughs) he drank a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So um, that was probably, you know, some of my personal things. Um, One book that I really love, if you guys are interested in Antarctica, is a book by an amazing swimmer, Lynn Cox called Swimming to Antarctica. And she was just amazing because all of her swims kind of pursued boundaries kind of on a geopolitical level. So she actually um, was the first person to swim between the Diomedes Islands in Alaska, between Alaska and Russia. And that was way back in the 90s. That was about 30 years ago now. And, you know, she was able to kind of get the governments to start to work a little bit together. You know, now maybe we're taking some steps back in terms of that. But, you know, she's just done a ton of these amazing swims. And, you know, she um, did groundbreaking research into ice swimming at a time when nobody was doing it. So she would get into that zero degree water and they would actually have a thermometer probe attached to her and they would kind of measure what her body's responses were going through. So she was both really helpful kind of on a political level and also in terms of science, in terms of what the body can, uh, can take in terms of cold water. I love hearing that as well because I, I feel like every now and then we've had a some sort of comment on the internet or a reader complaint about how travel isn't political and that we should keep politics out of travel. But I think travel is inherently such a political act. And I think, you know, you talk about this woman, you know, using her swimming and her ability to move around the world to actually make some sort of incremental change and which. I don't want to sound too corny, but I find that very inspiring. Yeah, I mean, it's really true. I think I see it a lot, especially in some of the the countries that I go to where it may be even most unusual to meet someone from the U.S., like China or Russia. And um, most of the folks that I meet are fellow athletes. So you have kind of that immediate bond. And um, I think one of the good things about kind of being with people and kind of experiencing that together, they can know that they met someone from another place and that they're not, you know, evil and that, you know, kind of pursue, you know, friendships just on a very person-to-person basis, so. Actually, one thing I'm also intrigued about is, um, you know, when you were talking about that first uh, swim you did in Finland and how there were all these people with their their jackets (laughs) on and their their old medals and warming up, did you sort of think, suddenly be like, wow, I've tapped into this whole global community that I did not know existed? 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like opening up a door and finding a completely different world. And, you know, it's definitely really intense. But after the competition's over, everybody relaxes together. You're all in the hot tub together. You know, so it kind of forms those bonds, which is really neat. After you do these six continents, (laughs) is there anywhere you're planning to go that's just a vacation? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not yet. I'm kind of just really focused on getting past this goal. I do hope to end the challenge in Switzerland or countries around there where I can kind of just relax and enjoy a little bit more. Um, it's probably going to involve swimming just because I really <laughs> like it. But that's yeah, allowed. That's yeah, allowed. I think that's fine. <laughs> awesome. Well, where can people follow this upcoming journey? I have a website. I probably should update it more. It's uh, <laughs> jamiemonahan.com, J-A-I-M-I-E-M-O-N-A-H-A-N.com. And if you see a lot of pictures of ice and pale people in Speedos, that's me. <laughs> You're so. in the right place. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm at Oh Hey There Mayor. And I'm at Lale Hannah on Instagram for both of us. And you can find a bunch of stories about other women who travel on cntraveler.com and follow all of our travels in less icy places um, <laughs> at CN Traveler on Instagram and Kindness Traveler on Facebook. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.